going to be this hour. It's preaching time. God, take us to that place, that secret place, where we can be with you. For through your word, you can make us like you. You can wash us and make us clean. You can give us insight to the things we don't know and the things we don't understand. God, would you open our eyes this morning, our ears, that we may see and we may hear what your spirit has to say to the church. And then, Father, if you'll be kind, breathe on me this morning and give me preaching power and preaching permission that preaching may be done. I need you now and I need you to forgive me of my sins for they are many. Do it again, oh God. And in the end thereof, we'll give you honor and glory and praise. And all God's children said together, Amen and Amen. While you're standing, if you'll open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Let me greet you. Grace and joy to you, family. So glad that you are here today on another Lord's Day. Amen. And for our first-time visitors, I want to welcome you to the New Beginnings Community Baptist Church where Jesus is Lord and King. Amen? Amen? We are an expository teaching and preaching church, and that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time. Family? And this morning, we are walking or driving through the book of 1 Samuel. So we welcome you to join us on our exegetical work in chapter 20. And let me tell you, it is loaded. Amen. I want to bite off a nice chunk this morning. I'm going to preach the whole chapter, but I'm just going to pull a thesis from verses 25 to 33 out this morning. So let them rest at 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 25, and then I'll go back and show you the landscape as we travel. I have a very, very special friend with me this morning. She is my little sister. She is a great woman of God, a Christian leader in the northern portion of our country in Spokane, Washington. For 20 years, she has been laboring in tough ground like me in Christian universities. She is the first African-American woman to land this job and has been there 20 years. They call her affectionately Mama Beans on campus. She is the campus minister, and she is a giant. She's an artist, a writer, a great woman of God, a great speaker. Sister Stephanie, wave your hand for me. Amen. I want y'all to see her. Go on, turn around, Mama, so they can see you. Amen. She has spent a week with me down here, and I'm so glad to have her, and I love her. So let's, uh, let's say we love you, Sister Stephanie. Hey, she'll be back. Let me tell you, she's gifted an author and a great speaker. And she told my chapel up this Friday. It won't be the same. Amen. Won't be the same. So glad she's here. If you haven't said, I got it, Pastor. Now, the king sat on his seat as at other times on a seat by the wall. 
And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him, for surely he is unclean, and surely he is unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for our family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. And then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. I know, huh? Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should he be killed? What has he done? And then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. Amen. I want to tag this message this morning. The Chronicles of David, part seven, a pivotal moment in the ministry. A pivotal moment in the ministry. Turn to somebody next to you and tell them, neighbor. neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. My pastor wants you to know. In your ministry, there will be pivotal moments. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Family, it's no secret to you that life is filled with pivotal moments. Moments that change your direction from going one way into another. Pivotal moments happen when we are least expecting them. Brother Greer, what makes them pivotal are that they come to make us change when we are most unsure about change or least likely to think about change. Pivotal moments are game changers. You ought to write that down. That they're game changers because they refocus us. They realign us, and they always help us to reimagine what the Lord is really doing in our lives. Can I get any help in here? See, sometimes they come because of spiritual warfare. 
Sometimes they come, Reverend McBee, because of spiritual prosperity. Sometimes they come because a new season of life has just landed upon us. But either or, pivotal moments will occur in the life of God's children. In fact, when we examine the biblical record, all of God's people in the Bible have had pivotal moments. Can I call roll? Adam had a pivotal moment. Enoch had a pivotal moment. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had pivotal moments. Joshua, Moses, and Elijah. And on down the biblical record, every last one of them had pivotal moments. Pivotal moments are what make the biblical characters who they are. God works and reveals himself to us in the pivotal moments of our lives. Come on, I need you to lean in today. Somebody looking at me this morning, you in a pivotal moment. You got to decide right now what you going to believe about God. You got to decide right now what you going to do with what you've heard him tell you to do. Am I in here today? See, today, today we see a pivotal moment occur in the life of David. And it happens in what I call a season of spiritual warfare. It happens because God is on the move and is trying, Reverend White, to prepare David to be the new king of Israel. And it's absolutely necessary that change must come to the servant of God. David has got to leave the palace. He's got to leave his countrymen. His position and all that he knows. He's even had to leave his wife, Michael. In order to get to the place where God is going to make him king. And it's a pivotal moment in the ministry of David. Can I turn the light on right here? The background of our text is this, that David had discovered that Saul is trying to kill him. And he has done no evil to Saul, yet Saul seeks to destroy his life. David is on the run, and watch this, God is allowing for Saul to misbehave. I need to park the car and waddle right there. Sometimes God let bad things happen to good people. But you can be well assured that if he lets it happen, he's got a divine plan for the pivotal moment. If you're in here, tell somebody, I'm going to help my pastor today. I'm going to help my pastor Listen, the ministry to David is not promising in this chapter. In fact, great stress rather, is on his mind because of the call that's on his life. David has just left Ramah where he's ran to see the prophet Samuel. But not even the prophet can reset the course that God has set in motion for David. Can I tell you why? He's in a pivotal moment. That's been given to him by God. I just said something right there. I said Samuel couldn't reset the course. The preacher couldn't change his course. Why? Because it's a pivotal moment that God has for his servant. 
So when we come to chapter 20 of this great book, it is the last piece of evidence that David needs to accept in order for him to finally move into action to become the man of God that the Lord has ordered him to become. Can I describe it for you? It's private. It's personal. And it's pivotal. Let me say that again. It's a private moment with him and the Lord. It's personal, Sister Rie, with him and God. And it's pivotal. Am I making sense here? I got four points. I'm going to argue this thing today. Y'all with me? Number one, I'm going to talk about David's consultation with Jonathan. Number two, David's covenant with Jonathan. Number three, David's communication with Jonathan. And number four, I'm going to land the plane talking about David's confirmation from Jonathan. Don't make it up. So keep your Bibles open with me. Let's start at verse 1 and walk through the text. If you got it, say, I'm there, Reverend. The text says in verse 1 that then David, he fled from Naoth and Ramah, and he went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? This is his best friend. What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, by no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so, David. Then David took an oath again and said, your father certainly knows, Jonathan, that I found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this unless he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, David, I'll do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, on tomorrow, the new moon feast will happen. And, and I should not fail to sit at the king's table to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at the evening. And if your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. And if this is well with him, it is well your servant will be safe. But if Saul is angry, then be sure that evil has been determined by him. Y'all in here? So therefore, therefore, Jonathan, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, Jonathan, if you've seen something in me, kill me yourself, man. For why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, far be it from you, David. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me or what if your father answers you roughly? Let me unpack these verses. Are you ready? When we arrive at this text, family, 
we see several things happening. Sister Carrie, something is wrong with David. He's searching for some answers from his brother-in-law and his best friend, Jonathan. David finds him and he tries to get some consultation for his weary and grieved soul. Can I say some more? When David finds Jonathan after running, running from Ramah, he reflects on what he has learned about his father-in-law. Saul, and he says, he says, rather, or reveals that after witnessing four attempts to take his life, David is no longer in doubt that Saul's trying to kill him. You want proof? Go back and look at 19. He tried to throw the spear at him three times. Are you with me here? Then he tried to come down to his own son-in-law's house and kill him while he was asleep. No, that's the, that's the second time, two times with the spear, once at Michael's house, and then when he ran for his life down to Rama, he sent three sets of hitmen to come take him out. Come on, y'all caught up now. That was chapter 19 right there. Can I say some more? The second thing we see in this text is that David has what I call is some mental health problems. What's wrong with him, Pastor? He's struggling with a melancholy mentality. Some of y'all are going to identify with this. He, he, he seems like uh, nonsense to Jonathan, but David is depressed. Y'all in here? I don't want you to feel bad no more about your depression problems. They are real. And they oftentimes come upon you because God is getting you ready for a pivotal moment. Y'all in here? But Jonathan in this text thought if anybody should know what his daddy was thinking, it was him. For he didn't think that Saul would do anything without consulting him. But David wasn't crazy. No, no, he wasn't crazy. He knew Brother Jackson. He knew that what he saw and what he experienced from Saul was real. David also had the wisdom of God in that he could discern good and evil even when Jonathan couldn't see what his daddy was doing. Can I give you some application here? Here's what I learned, brothers and sisters, that sometime in pivotal moments, we too run for consultation to those that we think should know and understand what we going through. Am I, am I in there? Is that true? Sometimes in pivotal moments, we trust the opinions of others more than we do the wisdom that God has given us. You know when somebody trying to kill you. You know when somebody trying to sabotage you. But because of our melancholy mentality, we will run and try to get another opinion. Instead of trusting what the Lord has already showed you. Am I in here, y'all? Look, sometimes in pivotal moments, I learn this. We don't have the courage to stand up and take the right course of action. Because we are melancholic in every area of our lives. 
Sometimes in pivotal moments, we can become too moody to operate in our right mind. Sometimes in pivotal moments, Brother Tommy, we can become too moody to do what needs to be done, man. Sometimes in pivotal moments, we can become too moody to see that it's really time to get up and get out of there. Because of David's melancholy mentality, he leaned on his consultation to get some direction for his life. When I think he already knew what he needed to do. But let me argue for a good consultation today. See, good consultations are not always bad. No, they're not always evil. They're not always purposeless. They're not always designed to hurt you. Sometimes consultations are needed to help you confirm that your next move is your most pivotal move. I just said something right there. I might not say nothing else this morning, but I just said it right there. Sometimes, yeah, 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 the right consultation can position you for greatness. Well, watch this, y'all. Sometimes the right consultation can introduce you to those who are really in your corner. Because David thought enough to consult with Jonathan. Watch this. God gave him a gift of a covenant brother to help carry him through his pivotal moment. Y'all feel that like I did? Which brings me to my next point. David's consultation with Jonathan leads, with David's, leads to David's covenant with Jonathan. Okay, keep your Bibles open. Uh, I got some Bible for my theology. Verse 11, y'all in here? And Jonathan said to David, come, let's go into the field and talk. So both of them went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is my witness. When I sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not sin, and I do not sin to tell you, to you rather, and to tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I'll report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety and the Lord be with you as he had been with my father. Verse 14. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, and not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David's from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant. Y'all see that right there? With the house of David saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now, Jonathan again calls David to vow because he loved him. For he loved David as he loved his own soul. I can't wait to unpack this. Y'all ready? 
So when we come to this portion of the text, Brother Reuben, we get to see a true covenant relationship manifest at a time when David needs it most. It's like he's in the world and ain't got a friend. Have you ever been there? Felt like you up against the wall and ain't got nobody to talk to? God gave him Jonathan for a covenant relationship. David needed to know that in the midst of his trouble, he had a brother and a friend, yes, who would be there for him and who was committed to him no matter what the situation looked like or felt like. The narrative suggests three important things right here. First, it shows that Jonathan, as the next in line to the king, yeah, he had a covenant heart. Watch this now. For his father's enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Secondly, we see that Jonathan in verses 12 and 13, he makes two oaths before the Lord. One is that he will get David the information he needed that was causing him to be distressed. And then secondly, he would give him that information in a timely manner. And if necessary, he would tell him where to run to be set free. Y'all in here now? I, I, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. I promise I am. Thirdly, we see, we see this text shows us the establishment between the households of David and Jonathan. In spite of the evil that his daddy set in motion to cause a division between him and his friend. In other words, this was a covenant that was going to serve as a spiritual reminder that the Lord someday would grant David success against all his enemies. Jonathan requests, rather, assumes that the Lord, yeah, would cut off David's enemies from the earth. Let, let me see if I can make you live. Jonathan takes him out to the field and the spirit of God makes him speak prophetically over his brother-in-law whom he loves. His brother-in-law is depressed, discouraged, and distressed and as a good covenant friend he brings him a word from on high. And the prophetic word is, whoever's trying to kill David, God's going to cut him off. Are y'all in here? My God. The Lord was speaking through Jonathan. Why? Because of their covenant connection. Can I argue for covenants right here? The text, the text suggests that the Hebrew word, karat, is the word for cut. And when David used this word, notice he says, he says that, he says that, may your covenant be with my house and your house. And this was holy. In other words, he was making a cut between his house and the future offspring of David. In other words, it was a treaty that couldn't be broke. Okay, let me give it to you this way. 
No matter what the future will produce, Jonathan is saying, however I may live, I'm going to give your family a cut. And you got to remember to give my family a cut. Because we're in covenant relationship together. Y'all missed it. Real covenant is sharing everything you got. And blessing somebody who don't have what you have. Oh, I wish I could preach it like I feel it. That's what it means, New Beginnings, to be a covenant member in this local church. We read it all the time. If I got it, and if you got it, Y'all in here now? When David or when Jonathan prophetically speaks, he's talking about not only getting rid of the enemies, but a prosperous future together in covenant relationship. I wrote myself a few notes. Sister Wilson, love of my life. I said, daughter, it's good in life to have a friend that'll enter into covenant relationship with you. Yeah. In spite of the changes that life can bring upon you. Daughter Lori, I love you, daughter. It's good in life to have a covenant friend, mommy, that will walk with you when others turn their back on you. I want to teach y'all to be covenant Christians. It's good to have a covenant friend that will try and help you even when your enemies are seeking to destroy you. Look at your neighbor and say, do you got one of them? Do you got one of them? It's good to, to have a friend who can speak a prophetic word of life to you when it seems like your enemy is about to destroy you. Look, Jonathan was able to minister to David, brother preachers, in a time of despair. You know why? He was a covenant brother. Jonathan was able to lift up a bow down head because he was a covenant brother. Jonathan was able to encourage a soul that found no encouragement because he was a covenant brother. Let me ask the million dollar question. Are you a covenant sister? Or are you a fair weather friend? You know there's a difference. Are you a covenant brother? Or are you a fair weather friend? You know as long as the sun is shining, I hit you, I call you, I got you. But when the storm come in, you can't be found. You know, you know, you know fair weather friends. They know you going through it and you blowing them up. They're like, I don't want to talk to her. Every time I talk to her, there's always some drama. Because you're fair weather. You're not covenant. I'm preaching like I feel it. Can I turn the light on right here? Covenant men are burden bearers. Covenant men can be counted on in tough situations. Covenant men keep their word. Covenant men and women are people with vision. Covenant men and women can speak prophetically about the future because they trust in the Lord. Covenant men and women believe in their brothers and sisters against all odds. Covenant men and women.
women make a difference in difficult places. Covenant men and women count on one another. Covenant men and women stand in the gap for one another. Covenant men and women are used by God in pivotal moments to help the servants accomplish what they can't do on their own. I think I'm going to do, do some research. I'm going to call every member on the roll and I'm going to examine them if they're covenant or not. And then if they're not covenant, I'm going to put them on the non-covenantal list. You know that list. I can't count on them. You can come to the meeting, but you can't dance at the party. I'm at a pivotal moment now and when I make my pivot I want to know that the person who was with me through my melancholy mood will dance with me at the party. I don't want you at the party if you can cha-cha with me while I was depressed. Oh shoot, can I let my hair down? Everybody wants a big church but nobody wants to sweat blood and tears to get it. But you'll show up at the cutting of the ribbon ceremony. Talking about my pastor. My church. Two lists. Covenant keepers and non-committed members. I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from, man. I burped up something. I don't know where that came from, Dad. Charge it to my head and not to my heart. I'm talking about David's consultation. David's covenant with Jonathan. Now, let me wrestle with David's communication with Jonathan. Can y'all see the picture? Are you there? Keep your Bibles open. Come go with me to verse 18. The text says in verse 18... That then Jonathan, he said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you'll be missed because you'll see that daddy's table will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly. Look at this, guys. To the place where you hid on the day of the deed or the day that we made the covenant. And remain by the stone, Ezel. Circle that word. And then I'm going to shoot three arrows to the side as though I'm shooting at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. And if I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you. Go get them and come. And as the Lord lives, there is safety for you, David, if I say that. If you hear me say that, that's your sign, right? Okay. But if I say to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go your way, David, because the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, the covenant he's talking about, May the Lord be between you and me forever. And then David, 
he went and hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king had sat down to the feast. Let me unpack it now. When we come to this portion of the text, we see Jonathan setting a plan of action on behalf of David. That's how you know he's a covenant brother, right? It's a strategy, Sister Jackson, it's a strategy, daughter, to uncover the truth about David's fear. Jonathan right now doesn't know that his daddy is a hater. His best friend told him he's trying to kill him, but Jonathan can't believe, not my daddy. So they got to set this plan so they can find out what the real is. In other words, David is looking for answers to why Saul wants him dead. And Jonathan's looking for answers to why David is tripping. But here, Jonathan, he provides specific details about how he would pass the vital information along to David. Y'all in here now? Now, because Saul and the royal household observed the laws of the Torah, the first five books of Moses, in Numbers chapter 10, Moses introduced to the children of Israel on their journey to the promised land the feast of the new moons. And they had to keep the feast in honor of worshiping God. But in order to eat at the feast, you could not have been unclean. Can I open that? Unclean had to do with anything. Um, say you touched animals in the field or you had to bury somebody or um, you were ceremonial unclean because of some sin you did. You had to be prepared in order to eat the feast. So when Saul sits at the table, the table would have been for his family and his commanders in service. David was both. He was his son-in-law and he was a military leader in the family. So the first day of the feast, David's seat is empty. Y'all with me there? And Saul doesn't see David is or rather is not going to see David at the table. Now notice this. This is the strategy. David and Jonathan have put together this strategy to try to tap into what's going on with Saul. Can y'all see it? They say, well, if, if, if he sees you, uh, sees your seat is empty by the third day and he don't go off, then it must be cool. I'm going to shoot you the arrows, and you're going to know, come on in, it's all good. But if he gets mad, then I'm going to send you another sign. Can I park the car right there? Now, David, while he's waiting on the sign, has got to wait at the rock of Ezel. This was a large stone, Sister Trina, that sat on the outside of the city. In the Hebrew, the name of it is the place of departure. God's got to make him wait in a secret place 
that's a place of departure. And he can't leave, watch this, until he see the sign and hear the word. Am I the only one excited right there? It's a pivotal moment. Determining what he's going to do with his life. He's either going to stay under Saul's covering or he's going to see the sign and hear the word and pivot to go and do what God has called him to do. Am I making sense here? Oh, my brothers and sisters, the pivotal moment for his future is coming because he's in covenant relationship. Watch this. With God and with his brother. Y'all made me work mighty hard for that. Oh, I'm sweating like a pig on trial up here. But I like how Jonathan confirms it. In verse 21, 22, he confirms it by saying, and if this happens, it's because, watch this now, the Lord has sent you away. Did y'all catch that? That's kingdom theology. Jonathan saying, even though it's bad, David, we recognize that the Lord is using it to send you your way. See, sometimes the Lord uses bad things to put you on a new journey. It don't necessarily mean that God mad at you. Sometimes God will break up a church to put you where he needs you to be. Some of y'all got messed up in some churches and you ain't pivoted since. You got to go back and have a Jonathan mentality. If it happened, the Lord let it happen. Can I talk to you? Sometimes bad situations put you at the place of departure. The secret place where you got to wait for the sign and listen for the word. That's worth you coming today. Can I ask you a question? Has the Lord ever placed you in a pivotal moment? That place where you have to wait in the place of departure to see which direction in life you headed. See, in a pivotal moment, the Lord, yeah, will keep you in silence. Can I say some more? Sometimes God don't speak, but it don't mean he ain't paying attention. You in silence because you waiting on the side. And you waiting on direction for your next move. In a pivotal moment, has the Lord ever brought you separation from those you love? Only to get you to give him honor and glory out of your new destination. Reverend White, Reverend White, I think you appreciate this. In a pivotal moment, has the Lord ever made you dependent upon others? To come through for you. Y'all missed it. David is waiting on Jonathan. To come and give him the report. About what's really going on in the palace. He is totally dependent. On Jonathan. 
to give him the news. And it's been three days. He's got to wait. No noise from heaven. No word from on high. Sitting in the secret silent place. That's a place of departure. He may not never, hey, get to go back to the palace again. And somebody looking at me right now, you in that space, that secret silent place, that place of departure. I stop by to tell you prophetically as your pastor, you might not never get those relationships back, but it's got to be all right with your spirit. It's got to be all right with what God has you. You can't sit and mope too long at the place of departure. You got to be ready to go to the pivotal moment that the Lord has you headed to. Can I say some more? Can I tell the truth? Pivotal moments are painful. If that's true, high five somebody. High five somebody. That's right, that's right. Pivotal moments can define your faith. Pivotal moments, Sister Green, can tell you what you really believe about God. Pivotal moments can, can, can predict what your next step must be. Pivotal moments will define for you what the will of the Lord is for your life you know what I notice when I'm depressed I can think of all kind of things that I think the Lord's will is for me I'm just talking about me but what I really need is a truth teller somebody with a sign and a word that'll tell me what I need to do well I've tried to argue for David's consultation I tried to argue about David's covenant with Jonathan. I've introduced you to this strategic plan, David's communication with Jonathan. Let me land the plane now. I'm by arguing about David's confirmation from Jonathan. Y'all in here? Are your pages filled with notes? Verse 25. Now, the king sat on his seat as at other times on a seat by the wall the narrator Samuel is trying to tell us here that Saul is paranoid his back's against the wall he don't trust nobody okay so don't lose that right and Jonathan arose watch this now it says that he was sitting by him but he moves his seat Can I say some more? This ain't in my notes. But in order to discern what's really in his daddy's heart, he's got to step away. Sometimes you can be too close to it. And you can't see truth because you relate it. Truth is, the person you love ain't who they really are. Are y'all in here? 
arises and Abner, I'm still in verse 25, sits by Saul's side. Somebody say, but David. His place was empty. Verse 26. So the first day, Saul didn't say anything, for he thought, well, maybe something has happened to David, and he's unclean. Verse 27. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty again. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul what him and David had rehearsed. He said, David asked permission to go to Bethlehem. He says, let me go for my family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. And then Jonathan said, and therefore... He has not come to the king's table. Watch verse 30. Then Saul. Somebody say, then Saul. Then Saul. Say his true, came out. his true colors came out. His anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Just talked about his mama just like that. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, go get him and bring him to me because he's got to die. And Jonathan answered his father and said to him, why? Daddy, why should he be killed? What has he done? And then Saul, he didn't take off a belt, y'all. He took a spear. Y'all see that there? And he tried to kill him. And by this, Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So verse 34, Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and he ate no food all that day, the second day of the month, because he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. Let me unpack it. When we come to this scene in the text, the moment of truth arrives for Jonathan and for David. Please hear me on this, y'all. Please hear me on this. David is hiding in the field, right? Waiting for the sign. Jonathan's present at the table. And the truth was going to be exposed about what Saul really thought about David. Now, Jonathan didn't know what his daddy was thinking all the way up until this time. Now, when he sits down with him and it comes to light on this second day, Jonathan then gets to understand, or rather, discovers three things about his father. Can I tell you what they were? Number one, he discovered that his daddy hated David and wanted him dead. Now he saw it for himself. Number two, he discovered that his daddy had hid this secret 
even from him. And he was next in line to be king. The third thing we notice is that he would even try to kill Jonathan. Because he felt that Jonathan was protecting David. Lord have mercy. A friend of my library said this to me and I'll never forget this. He said, Angelus, when the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and the evil spirit from God took control over him, there was nothing that Saul wouldn't do. I said, boy, what a note. In other words, when evil is guiding a person's life, evil is what they will do. Some of y'all still making excuses for people. Still making excuses about why they acting like they acting. Trying to cover them in that season of wickedness. No, when evil is what you serve, evil is what you do. Am I talking to you right there? When the evil one had manipulated Saul's heart. Yeah, Saul would even kill his own son. Because evil was in his heart to do him wrong. Looking at this text, I, my heart broke this week. Brother Nichols, my heart broke for Jonathan. Because here he discovers that his hero really ain't his best friend. How painful. How painful for a son to find out that he can't trust his daddy. Y'all ain't in here. My heart breaks for Jonathan because he's been deceived. And the king he loved has now turned on him. But nevertheless, God has allowed Jonathan, watch this now, to see what he didn't want to see. Y'all in here? Come in here. Come in here. Come in here. Let me say it again. God had to let him see what he didn't want to see. And God will do you the same way. Because some people you won't let go of. Because you think in your own mind, oh, they could never do that to me. Please. God had to allow him to see what David had saw the whole time. God had to allow him to see that he too had an enemy in the palace. And the enemy was his own daddy. Can I help you? Can I help you? Sometimes you can't believe that the enemy is in your family. Man, sometimes you sleeping with the enemy. This was a pivotal moment for Jonathan too. I know that hurt it, but I got to give it to you straight. Am I right? This was a pivotal moment for Jonathan to face. It was this pivotal moment that Jonathan would have to make a decision. Watch this now. To go against his own father. Because it was morally right. Some of y'all ain't willing to do that. You're side with your kids selling drugs. Because it's your baby. You'll side with somebody in your family doing wrong because you think love knows no wrong. Whenever it's morally right, you better do what's morally responsible. 
Sometimes the pivotal moments in life can defy families. Sometimes pivotal moments in life of ministry can separate you from those you love. Come on, if you can't say man, say ouch. Something. Scream ah, something. Give me some kind of reaction. Let me know you're in here. Sometimes pivotal moments in life of ministry hurt us more than we can tell. Sometimes the pivotal moments in life of ministry, they move us into action against our own heart's desires. In other words, Jonathan has to move into action because he's given David his word. Did y'all catch that? He's got to go back and face his brother. Even though he don't want to tell him what he saw. Even though what he saw hurt him. He got to come back and give him the word. David's confirmation is on the line. And it's a pivotal moment for David and for Jonathan. Well, I got to leave you now. The text closes out by saying, and so it was. I like that. In the morning, that Jonathan went out into the field at the appointed time with David. And the little boy was with him. And Jonathan said to the lad, now run and find the arrows I'm about to shoot. And the lad ran and he shot the arrows, Sister Carrie, beyond him. And when the lad had came to the place where the arrow was, where Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out with a loud voice. It's not the arrow beyond you. And Jonathan said, make haste, hurry, and don't delay. And Jonathan's lad gathered the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad didn't know anything. Only David and Jonathan knew that that was the sign. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the lad and hurried him to the city. And as soon as David, yeah, knew the lad was gone, he arose from the place. Watch these two verses, 41 and 42. He fell on his face toward the ground. And he bowed down three times. And they kissed each other. And wept together. But David said no more. As I get ready to take my seat. We find a sad close to this pivotal story. The close is tight but is right. David was telling Jonathan the truth. That Saul was trying to kill him. Jonathan is crushed because his daddy is a hater. And both of them, as best friends, have done no wrong to this king. But neither of them can do anything about the injustice that has come their way. Did y'all hear me right there? There are some injustices in life you can't do nothing about when God has ordained them. Y'all catch me right there? When God ordains your injustice, you can march all you want to. It ain't going to change. 
because the injustice has been given to you for a pivotal moment. Can I talk to you? We can learn from this text that life is hard, man. Life is cruel. Life is cold. And life is filled with pivotal moments. The last portion of the text, Zuniga shed some important things on the right posture to have in a pivotal moment. The text shows us that as David is waiting in the secret place, waiting with the right posture, in the position of departure, he finally gets a sign and a word from the Lord. Somebody missed it. Guess what he's doing while he's waiting? He's waiting in the right position. He's waiting in the right posture. And he's in the position and place of departure to move when he hear the word. Can I say some more? As we close the text, the Bible says that the boy, Jonathan, shot three arrows. And I was sleeping on this thing, and I'm going to give you what I got. I believe one of the arrows was for direction. The other one was for confirmation. And the other one was for release. When God puts you in a pivotal moment, you got to wait on confirmation. Am I talking to you? You got to wait on direction. And you got to wait on release. Don't run until you get those three. Can I say some more? When David saw the arrows, he had to wait on the code. And the code was, the code was, the Lord has released you. Gone to go. And that was the sign of his pivotal moment. And let me show you what jumped out of me, Brother Brandon. I never saw this before. The Bible says that David got up and he fell down. Three times. He gave God worship for what the, what the answer was. Y'all not feeling me? He worshiped him in spite of what he thought about what God said. He didn't have to like it, but he worshiped because it came from his God. Sometimes God will call you to do what you don't like. But what you do with what you heard will determine what you believe about God. He don't give you the Bentley. Will you worship him if he don't cure you from cancer? Will you worship him if he don't let your baby out of jail? Will you worship him if he never give you a man? In spite of what David felt like, was to worship him. That's how you know you're a worshiper. 
are worshiping him if it feels good or if it feels bad. David bows down and worships the Lord. Sit down, I ain't through. But I'm so close. The Bible said he got up and he ran to Jonathan and they kissed each other. And I found something here. That Jonathan, after embracing his brother, he blessed David. Y'all see that? With a benediction. He said, go in peace. Since we both sworn in the name of the Lord. May the Lord watch between me and you. And between your descendants and mine. Can I say something right here? Sister McBee, number one and two. There was sadness. Watch me. But there was covenant. There was sadness. But there was obedience. There was tears. But there was commitment. Niece, there was suffering, but in the suffering there was purpose. God had his sons in a pivotal moment of greatness, purpose, destiny, and divine contentment. The covenant brought pain, but the covenant produced something. See, your pain and your sorrow must produce obedience. does what you want him to do you still must produce fruit of the covenant I'm through preaching now but when I look at David and I close the text he looks like a type of Christ in fact, the Bible teaches that he is an Old Testament picture of Jesus. It means you can look at David's life and see certain things that Jesus would fulfill. Come go with me to the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at the son of the divine covenant. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane in a pivotal moment. Y'all know it? Y'all know the prayer? Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. There's sadness, but there's obedience. Because the Father doesn't answer. But Jesus simply says, not my will, but your will be done. Are y'all in here? There's tears, but there's still commitment. There's suffering, but there's suffering with purpose. God had Jesus in a pivotal moment of greatness, a moment of purpose, a moment of destiny, 
a moment of divine contentment. And in spite of it all, he goes to the cross, fulfilling the will of his father to redeem a broken and fallen world. Jesus walked in a pivotal moment and fulfilled his destiny to save mankind from their sins. It was a pivotal moment that caused him to lay down his life. Can I argue this thing right here? Listen, he said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I'll take it again. Can I tell you why it was pivotal? He could have called down a legion of angels to wipe out everybody at the cross. But instead, he submitted himself to the wickedness of man. That's pivotal. It's pivotal when you have the power to fix your situation according to your flesh's desires. But instead, you submit to the will of the Father. Come on, talk to me. It was pivotal, I tell you, that Jesus gave his hands to the nails and his feet to the nails and his head to the thorns. It was pivotal because he could have stopped it at any time. It was pivotal when he died. Can I argue why? I heard him say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Are you listening here? I don't have to die. I'm God. I can get down right now. But because this is what he ordained, I submit myself into your hands. He died. Didn't he die? I said he died. Didn't he die? They took the body down and put him in another pivotal moment. They placed him in the grave. But you know what he did when he was there? Descended into hell. Took the sting out of death. And victory over the grave. It was pivotal. He could have laid there. Didn't have to do nothing else. Could have got up for his own sake. But he didn't do that. Can I tell you why? Because I needed to get up. When I die. So to help me to pivot. He took the sting out of death. Took victory over the grave. And got up early. Sunday morning with all the power of heaven and earth in his hand. He got up with pivotal power so I could have pivotal power. Oh, come on, help me in here. I'm glad he got up because he gave up. I can make decisions now when it comes to my future because he got up. I got pivotal power. I don't have to yield to the flesh. I don't have to obey the world. Don't have to listen to the devil. I got pivotal power. I can suffer because he called me to suffer. I can take the thorns because he's ordained me to take the thorns. I can take the sufferings because he's built me for suffering. It's a pivotal moment, I tell you, every day of your human existence. But how you choose to live in Christ will determine what you believe about Christ. Give the Lord some praise.